Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Jeremy Quintanilla. You are listening to Age of Jeremy. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm the co-founder of Age of Radio and 3T Fitness and well, other businesses that I am working on. This podcast is about everything that I learn and the trials and tribulations it took to learn them. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Age of Jeremy. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Age of Jeremy where you can get some investment news from the leader in financial education, investments, accounting, taxes, and business advice. That leader is me, and if I'm not the leader yet, I will be soon. Also, follow our podcast network, The Age of Radioverse, on Instagram at Age of Radioverse, 100 podcasts strong and growing. You can also check me out on TikTok at Age of Jeremy and on Twitter at Age of Jeremy Q. If you want to be on this podcast and chat, email me at jeremy.quintanilla at ageofradio.org. That's jeremy.quintanilla at ageofradio.org. Let me spell that. It's jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, dot quintanilla, Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-I-L-L-A, at ageofradio.org. We are looking for small business owners and influencers to share these stories or share their stories. No matter how small, no matter how big, we just love a good story. All right, let's talk about some stuff that you should know. Last September, the S&P 500 had nearly a 10% correction, which is leaving a lot of investors dreading this autumn. In an article from MarketWatch by Mark DeCombre, he writes that even though the S&P 500 was racing to record highs, uh, it had nearly a 10% nosedive in September. Ultimately, September 2020 registered a 3.9% decline for the S&P 500, coming after five straight months of sharp gains in the aftermath of COVID-19. The reason why people are concerned is that this year seems to be replicating similar streaks that took place last year. We are currently at seven straight months and counting of gains for the broad market benchmark known as the S&P 500. Also, it points out in the article that September is historically the worst month for stocks, which is true. Let's talk about some of the reasons for this uneasiness. One, the latest job reports that came out last Friday was less than stellar. That's one. Valuations are rich for stock, depending on your measure. The Delta variant of coronavirus is spreading as schools open. Inflammation is kind of getting a little bit high. It'll probably eventually skyrocket as more people go back to work. So people are having some inflation worries. The Fed is meeting on September 21st and on September 22nd, where they may begin tapering off buying bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And then also there's the debt ceiling. So these are some of the reasons why investors have this little bit of uneasiness. 
However, I believe that if you go looking for a witch, you're going to find one. What do I mean? Well, you can traditionally find any type of information that you want to fit any type of narrative that you push. If we look at times where the stock market begins September in an uptrend, the negative return becomes positive by roughly 0.5% on average. In turn, if the stock market begins a month already in decline, it averages about a negative 3% loss. However, any way you slice it, September is probably going to be choppy. So what does that mean for you? Well, if you're an average investor planning for retirement, make sure to visit your financial advisor and they can help guide you through the end of the year. It is always important to have a good relationship with your financial advisor, to have a financial advisor, and make sure that you're meeting with them at least quarterly to make sure that you're on track for being, I guess, productive with your retirement planning. Speaking of retirement, the purpose of retirement is to be able to live off of your assets. So this is the next thing that you need to know. Assets can increase in value and they can pay you income. One way you can get that income is by buying companies that pay out dividends. So it is good to know when companies raise their dividends, and these three stocks raised their dividends this last week. Number one, Verizon Communications, ticker symbol VZ, declared a quarterly dividend of 64 cents a share. So what does that mean? Well, if you have 1,000 shares of Verizon, they will pay you 0.64 per share or 64 cents per share, which comes out to around $640 if you have 1,000 shares of Verizon. Now, Verizon is selling for $55.43 a share, so an investment of $55,430 will yield you approximately $2,560 in yearly income, given that they keep that a share the same for each quarter. Now, some of the other ones that raise their dividends this week are Brady Manufacturing. Uh, Brady is a manufacturing firm with ticker symbol BRC. It's increasing their annual dividends for its Class A common stock to 90 cents a share from 88 cents a share. Centerspace, a real estate investment trust specializing in apartments, declared a quarterly dividend of 72 cents a share. This is up to cents. Now, it may not seem like uh, money, but uh, a lot of money, but dividend play or dividend paying is an important part when you reinvest them. Now, most trading apps automatically reinvest the dividend income by putting it towards purchasing more shares of the company. Now, this doesn't seem like a lot, but over time, if you invest properly into dividend paying companies, it can become worthwhile. However, as much as I love buying stock, if I have $55,430 right now, I would do one of these two things. One, I would start or buying company as an operator. So what I start a company or buying a company as an operator. So what I mean by that is I would probably dump $50,000 into Age of Radio to help us grow and to branch off into other revenue streams because as a media company, there's lots of other things that you can be doing. Um, think of the the company that's in the 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 show Succession on HBO. Um, a lot of the things that they have, like they have parks, they have entertainment, they have their news channels, they have their newspapers, they have all that stuff. Media company encompasses a lot of things, and to grow that, we need more money. So if I had 50000 I would put that into Age of Radio because having your own company or operating and owning your own company buys a couple of things. It buys freedom, and hopefully it buys the ability to become a multimillionaire um, over time. So a lot of multimillionaires are created because they own and operate their own businesses rather than investing into public companies on the aftermarket, like when you go and buy, say, Verizon. Now, if running a business isn't your thing, you could also take that $55,430 and put it as a down payment on some type of real estate. 
Real estate is great because of the leverage factor. So you put $55,430 down, you take out a loan of, I don't know if that's 10%, that'd be a $500,000 loan. You rent the property out and you receive income from it paying towards your expenses of owning the house or the property and whatever's left over is yours. And again, when it comes to this type of thing, always make sure that you're talking to a financial advisor because again, I'm just a guy in a microphone trying to educate you so people can't take advantage of you. So what do I want to talk about in this podcast episode? I want to talk a little bit about budgeting. So I heard a peer once say that they didn't want to spend too much on a house because they didn't want to live on a budget for 30 years. Now, I am all for not overpaying for a house, but her concept of budgeting made me think, what do people really think a budget is? A lot of the times we correspond budgeting with, say, being poor because you don't have the money just to buy the things that you want. But there's a a better definition for the word budgeting. So budgeting, at least my definition of it, is making sure every dollar has a place to go, which means, well, exactly that, that every dollar you make has a home. Uh, So that is my opinion on whether you run a business, it's a business budget, or it's a personal budget. Every dollar you make has a home. So let me go over some tips that I think might make it a little bit easier for people to um, manage a budget. So tip number one, uh, it's really important to maybe have a budgeting night or a budgeting day, depending on your situation. Now, do I do this? I would like to say that I do this 100% of the time, but I do Don't do it 100% of the time. But I do think that when my wife and I do do this, we have a better understanding about our money. So what does this kind of look like? So, well, it's sitting down at your designated time and making sure that the money you have coming in or expect to have coming in all has a place to go and also deciding on how much is going to go where. So again, the key thing is making sure that you have, you know where all of the money is going and that it goes to that spot. So we'll take an example. My wife and I try to set around $160 a week to say groceries. So $320 per day per pay period. So we also allot a specific amount for going out to eat. Now, once that money is spent, we can't go out uh, to eat until the following period. So we decide all of that during our budgeting time. And having this and doing this has just opened up uh, communication with us about what our goals are for money, what we're wanting to do with money. And so it's very important that you have as time set aside every week where you're sitting down as a couple, or if you're by yourself, you're sitting down by yourself, or if it's you and your kids, you're sitting down with your kids and you're looking at where all the money that's coming in and making sure that all that money has a place to go. The next tip that I have is I would recommend that you start at zero. This means essentially that all money gets accounted for. So you should have zero in your checking account at the start of the new period because all the money should have been accounted for. It should have either been saved, it should have been invested or spent wherever it was allotted. So some of those categories might be clothes. Some of those categories, obviously, stuff has to go to gas and to travel, to your house, to your utilities. Everything needs a place to go. That's what a budget means. And you have a set amount of what goes into each specific bucket. Now, I think this is where people get a little confused. And a lot of that is due to a lot of the the stuff that we see on social media, the stuff that we go and read about. 
And and a lot of people say, well, if you don't have Starbucks every day, you will save around $1,000 a year. But that really isn't irrelevant if you set aside $1,000 specifically for Starbucks while keeping to your financial goals, to keeping to your saving, to keeping to your investing, to keeping to your kids' education, wherever that money goes. If you want to go and buy Starbucks, eh, a lot that money specifically for Starbucks. And then the other thing that makes it a little bit difficult is that you don't pay yourself <laughs> A lot of people don't pay themselves first, or they don't understand what that concept is. So when I get paid, money automatically goes into our retirement and our savings and our investing accounts. Like that's where it comes from, and then everything else is essentially divided up after that, or or spit out after that. So we'll we'll take my my retirement account. So my retirement account is on track for somewhere between five to ten million dollars. Now that's just my retirement account. I also have investing accounts. In general, I would say have around three to six months of savings. Okay, to cover your monthly expenses, uh, three to six months worth. That's traditional personal finance theory. Now, here's my opinion. I would rather have that money invested. So me personally, I like to have like two to 3,000 in savings in case something happens. I can use that or I could go get debt uh, or I could take on debt. And then if I want to pay that debt off right away, I can liquidate some of my stocks, my bonds, or my crypto. A lot of the times, your portfolio will not outweigh your interest that you're paying on debt. So it doesn't make sense to keep it in there if you have that that interest on, you know, like a credit card or something along the lines. Now, some debt, it may outperform. Like my portfolio this year is outperforming all of the interest expense that I have on any debt. So it doesn't make sense to take that money out of that and pay that off. So you have to kind of think about that. So if something happens and I need to borrow, I'll liquidate stocks, bonds, or crypto from my non-retirement account, and I'm personally fine with that. But that doesn't mean that is what's going to be best for you. Everybody's situation is going to be different. But traditionally, you want to have between three to six months of your uh, expenses saved up. So when you get paid, you take your investing and your savings and that stuff, and you put it aside, and then the budget out from everything else. That's one of the biggest problems is that people usually get paid, they do all their expenses and buying and then whatever's left over they try to save. Don't do that. Um, the other thing is you also want to make sure that you're saving for specific things. So we're saving for uh, a trip to Alaska. We're saving for our real estate and other businesses that we want to invest with. And we're also saving um, in our investment accounts and things like that. Now, when we save here in my family, we put that traditionally in investment accounts, except for that two to 3000 as a buffer in a savings account, because we want our money to kind of grow and it's not going to grow in a savings account. So it's a pretty safe bet if you have a bond ETF or if you have have like uh, an index ETF. So any money that's in our trading account that's not being utilized in, say, a, a specific company, or it's just we want something a little bit safer, we keep it in like an index fund ETF or like a dividend growth ETF or something along those lines. And again, always consult your financial advisor before you make any uh, purchasing of securities because securities can be risky. Now, if all this is on track and I have money left over at the end of the month, uh, it has to be allotted into something. And if I don't have it, then it either needs to go into savings or something that I can just spend on something that I've been wanting to buy. The biggest trick and the hardest part of this is sticking to a plan because not because it's sticking to a plan 
It's sticking to a plan, but not living like you don't have any money. Living like you don't have any money is is ridiculous to me. Like, you have money, you buy stuff with your money, you want to use your money to get cool stuff, to have fun and entertainment and things. Don't live like you don't have any money, just have a plan for your money. That, if there's one thing that you take away from this podcast, just think I should have a plan for my money. We have all of these people that are consistently saying that all debt is bad, and then we have the people that are saying that use debt for everything. There is a middle way, and that middle way is a much, much better way. Let's take a quick break. Now, I know before I went to break, I said that there's those people out there that are saying never have any debt. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say tip number three, which is keep your debt under control. I am saying don't let it get out of control. I have let it get out of control in my life, mainly revolving debt. I always try to play the points on credit cards, but then I never like to use the cash to pay it off, or I use credit cards because it is safer than using your debit card and it gets out of hand. That is how I personally have let credit cards get out of hand, and that's the trick of the credit card companies. And if you're not disciplined, like I'm not that disciplined, I'm willing to admit that. I have just decided I suck at it, so I will just use cash or pay the credit card right after the purchase. That's just me. You have to do what works for you, but traditionally there are a few things that can help um, keep your debt in control. One, not a lot of people like doing this. I don't even know if Zennials or whatever generation we're in right now keep uh, know what this is, but keep a check register of how much you are putting on your card so you can see that debt rise. So a check register is essentially something when you have a checking account, every time you make a purchase off of that, you write it down because before online banking, you couldn't see all of that. I personally use a, a check um I personally use a check register for everything because sometimes I have stuff that's slotted to come out on, say, the 10th, and I wanted to put it in my check register so I know that that money has already been accounted for and that I have this other amount left over. That's one of the biggest keys of planning is to see all of this money go so you can make sure that all the money that you have left over gets allotted for. But you can also do this with credit cards because if you do this with credit cards and you raise it up... Um, then you can see how much of that debt is going on that credit card and you can manage it a lot better. And this is something my aunt does so she can manage her Disney credit card so she can get her Disney points and not get into trouble. So when she buys something on her Disney credit card, she puts it in her check register to add it up and then she pays money towards it and she always has track of this so she can keep it under control. The more meticulous you are with these types of things, the more you can keep your money under control. So the other trick, and this is just something I think is, this works, but I also think it's stupid, is stop at the 30% utilization. The way that the credit card companies work is they like to not see you overdo 30% or 50% of your credit card, which is weird because if you have a credit card of 300 bucks, that's only like $30. Um, so, but stop at 30, 30% utilization. When you have a, util, a high utilization, the credit agencies look negatively on this and it affects your credit score. So never try to let it, never try your best to never let it go past 30%. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you may not have the willpower. I know in the past I have another willpower and I like using credit cards and I like buying stuff and I like cool stuff, but do your best to do that. And then the other thing you could do a lot of financial people say don't use your credit card for emergencies. I get that, but my grandparents, uh, have a fantastic financial record. They've made it through retirement without having to get other jobs. They've been retired for like 40 years and without working, they've been living off of their investments 
And one of the things that they have always done is they just use a credit card for emergencies. They have cash. If they can use cash, they use cash. If they need to, they'll use a credit card and then they'll pay it back. So just use the card for emergencies. Like if your car breaks down, you should be using cash, like I said. But well, you know, sometimes shit happens and sometimes regular people have to use their credit cards. It's not bad. It's not wrong. You know, uh, the Dave Ramseys of the world make you feel like shit, but there's nothing wrong with having to use your credit card if you have to. So Dave Ramsey can go F himself, I guess. And speaking of Dave Ramsey, here's tip four, utilize cash. Dave Ramsey is really good at a lot of the tips that he's made and he's built a huge empire. So I'm not, even though I said Dave Ramsey can go F himself, Dave Ramsey has a lot of good advice if you want to go there. I'm not really big into making people like crap, feeling like crap based off the decisions that they've made. Just recognize that the decision was bad, take ownership of it, and work to make it better. So Dave Ramsey has an envelope system where you set aside cash for your budget categories. Now, I'm not going to super deep dive into it here, um, but essentially, you if you have um, if you're going to pay for tires that you have, you know, for the year that you need new tires, or you're going to have money for your oil change, you take all these little envelopes and you have them for a budget category and you put the cash in them and you live off of cash. Now, I enjoy living off of cash when I do this. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes when I'm like, oh, I'm just going to play around and try to get do see if I can go with only using like $25 a week. Um, uh, you use that $25 for that week for your everyday spending allowance. So I did this pre-pandemic when I felt like spending was getting out of control. I would just give myself, like I said, $20 a week for coffee or drinks throughout the week. And you just don't take your debit cards or credit cards with you. And you just $25 a week. And that's how you get through your life. And it takes a it's really good for a couple of reasons. One, because you don't have your other credit cards or emergency things with you. Like you have to be planning hopefully what's going to be going on in that week so that you don't run out of, you know, money or you don't run out of gas or something along those lines. So you will find that you buy less when you do this and you can actually see that money disappear when you have cash. And that's why I think I'm, I'm an advocate of that physical currency piece of it, just for that reason, when it comes to like teaching yourself a habit. So, but as you move, we move more and more to virtual or digital currency. This is going to be really difficult. But if you ever want to see how much you're actually spending, take a hundred dollars, only live off of that hundred dollars for that week, and you will see how fast it goes. And you get a better concept of that money actually disappearing because it's very difficult to see in a digital world because money is now just a number on a screen. My last tip that I have is to use Mint um, or another online budgeting. Now, as much as I would like Intuit, the creators of Mint, to sponsor my show, we could call it the Mint Studio. If you're listening, it has a really nice ring. Um, I just love Intuit products. Intuit's a really great company. It has a really great leadership under its CEO. But Mint is a fabulous app that connects to your bank accounts and helps you create and stay on track for a budget. The best thing about Mint is that it's free. It also has a lot of great reporting that can show you how much you are overspending, and it shows you when you're getting close to your budget and if you've overspent on your budget, and it also calculates your net worth. So if you're unfamiliar with net worth, it is when you add up all of your assets, like your house, your car, your original Picasso, your dope Lego collection, and then you subtract all the debts that you have from those assets. The number that is left over is what your net worth is. So if you put input everything into Mint, Mint keeps track of how your net worth is changing over time, and it's really cool to see. Um, and it's a number that you need to know because it if you later on in life, if you decide you want to get a franchise or something along those lines, they usually have uh, requirements for your net worth. So it's really mindful to keep that in mind of what your net worth is.
So these are just some things that I think about when I'm thinking about budgeting that I think could be beneficial for you. Um, I hope you can put some of them into place. I'm also working on a budgeting seminar that I hope that should be ready by mid Q4. Um, so make sure to check out our 3twarrior.com website to learn more about our 3T Warrior Academy, the budgeting class or workshop will only be available to people in the academy. So um, with that, I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed yourself and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Age of Jeremy. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you can do me a favor, please rate this podcast if your podcatcher allows you to. Talk to you soon.